Hello there, this is Richie from the Metal Cell Podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Jude from Acid Age. How the hell are you, man? Hey, guys. Thank you very much for having me, Richie. That's awesome. Yeah, great to have you on, dude. And Joe, as always, great co-host. How have you been keeping the over the man? weekend, Joe? Yeah, grand, man. Didn't do an awful lot. Just fucking sat about in the sofa, watched uh, the guns in Navarone. It was pretty, pretty fucking class, to be honest. Ah, I saw Force 10 on Navarone, actually, lately. That was the... And I was kind of... I said I'd love to see guns, obviously. One of them things, isn't it? Like, Easter's like a kind of... It's kind of like a miniature miniature Christmas vibe, like a, just fucking food and films you've seen too many times on the sofa. Yeah. I watched um, Gladiator, actually, and... I wasn't too, too cut up over leaving it three quarters way, you know. I had like great memories of it, and then I just maybe I think it's probably the fourth time I've seen it. But I was watching it with the young because he's big into Assassin's Creed and a few other things. So there's some Assassin's Creed that is situated around the time of the Roman Empire. And funnily enough, that brings us nicely in to what you've done, Jude, with your new album. Yeah, Scepter. Pesimus, would that be the right? Yeah, Semper Pessimus. Semper Pessimus is Roman Latin and it means the worst ever. So our album is literally called The Worst <laughs> Ever. Ah, oh, classic, man. The, uh, the cover art's um, the cover art's great though, man. It really it like it's it's got that you know concepty album type vibe where the artwork really ties into it, doesn't it? Yeah, the cover art was actually done by Aaron's dad, Paul McCarroll, um, our drummer. Um, oh, yeah, he's um. He used to drum for a band called Scald, if you remember them. Joe might, I wouldn't know. Yep. So uh, Paul McCarroll uh, is, it's funny, it's just one of those things because Aaron was actually in the band for about four years before we knew anything about his dad doing artwork for various bands. And it was like, right, well, cheers for the heads up, lad. <laughs> you know? The artwork you were using before that, or the artist, who was that? That was um, a guy called Chaos Touched. Um, who's a tattoo artist. I think he's from Italy. And it's a bit more digital, whereas what Paul McCarroll done for us was um, an old-fashioned oil painting where he actually attacked the canvas. You know? Nice. nice. So that was cool. It's nice to actually see the artwork on a big fuck-off canvas as well. Like It's just different for us. Never mm. done it that um, way. You so know? Jude, um, for people who don't know that you are the vocals and guitarist with the band, uh, a virtuoso it. on guitar, may I say, because that fucking... New album is just outrageous with uh, <laughs> musicianship, so mental. And are you self-taught or what? Did you get lessons? Uh, I was vote? taught. I was taught guitar. I had lessons from uh, a guy who he actually guests on the album too. My guitar teacher. He's on uh, track ten. Class. He does a wee guitar solo. But uh, my guitar teacher isn't like most guitar teachers. I would say like the way some people would go and have very formulated regimented practice routines from someone my guitar teacher was like an old stoner rock and roll guy that just loves rock and heavy metal and would just teach me how to play it and how taught me a lot about listening to it and you know he, he can be quite philosophical too he's a great 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 player as a guy eugene mitchell um and uh he, he would sort of set you down and just lecture you about why thin lizzie's the best and then make you learn thin lizzie licks you know so it worked wow. out all right. <laughs> How old were you when you got your first lessons, Jude? I was nine. Nine? Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Like, you've been at a long while. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, well, it's all been fun, you know. Joe will tell you the same thing, I'm sure. <laughs> you find yourself a bit more full circle, man, like from going from, you know, maybe stuff like Lizzie that you would have been listening to, you know, right at the start, like that 
to going into like listen to a load of technical stuff to going back to that kind of stuff or where, where, what are you listening to these days? <laughs> I'm listening to loads of jazz and fusion at the minute. Um, lots of instrumental shit. Um, yeah. I love uh, Aldi Miola and Frank Gambale yeah. and a lot of jazz guitarists but interestingly I'm not so much into the the like uh, exclusively wanky jazz if you mm. know the elevator music you know yeah. I like the kind of rock edge stuff where there's still a bit of a hardness to it good double bass drumming you know yeah. lots of funky bass Latin bass I'm a big fan of Latin bass and drummers like uh, Alphonse Muzon who were like see Alphonse Muzon you could like put you could put two bongos and a frying pan in front of him and he will just compose an absolute orchestration of a drum solo like you've never heard and mm. it's funny there is like a weird connection between thrash metal and jazz like even some of my favorite thrash guitar players are guys like Alex Skolnick and Chris Poland yeah. and Alex Skolnick's played with Alphonse mm. Muzon and Chris Poland's played with every jazz musician and like the Western and kind of, um, playing in like Madhavishnu Orchestra, or, you know that. Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah. Your man, um, Gary Moore, had a great band in the '70s called Coliseum. Coliseum Two. Yeah. yeah, and it was very it was awesome. a similar kind of stuff. It was not like sort of fusionish, but I suppose all those boys were kind of a wee bit too rooted in like maybe rock and um, and like progressive music. They weren't um, really going to make like. Flamingo tunes and that sort of stuff, yeah. like, like yeah. heavy. Oh, well, the same boys could have. Make no mistake about it. Like uh, they, they do quite like a Coliseum too. Would have a sort of a fusion edge, but it was maybe closer to you know Yes and Genesis seventies yeah. era Yes and Genesis than say like Return to Forever or Mahavishnu Orchestra. You know. Mm. There's some great players as well. Um, do you know what? Actually, he was on your album, Tony Portaro. Yeah, from Whiplash. Yes. <laughs> There's another dude there that fucking, I bet you he's into jazz and whatever. Yeah, it's like he's actually, um, he's a certified um, jazz freak under Berkeley College of Music. Like there he's you a Cartarian jazzer. You know? Fuck's sake. Like you could hear some of that in Whiplash, early Whiplash. Yeah. And there's another Absolutely. band as well uh, called Wargasm. Remember them? Back yeah, in the yeah. 80s as well. Another brilliant guitarist as well. Man, uh, Richie, their name got... Uh, there's like some band going around the UK now called Wargasm. What? Seriously? No. Yeah, because there was a... Do you remember when um, the Deftones and Obituary and all were supposed to do like a festival down south last year? Mm-hmm. With um, Fiona Moore and stuff. Oh, yeah. That's one of yeah. band called Wargasm. And I was like, oh, no way. I'd love to see Wargasm. And then... Picked it up and it was some pretenders to the throne. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ! There was there's also a, a Metallica tribute band from Sligo called Whiplash. Yeah, I've seen them a lot of times. Yeah, they're brilliant. Yeah, I they do the job well. They do it very well. Yeah, yeah, but they're not Whiplash. No, certainly not. <laughs> what was the whole idea um, of going concept with this album? First of all, um. Probably just like any other band, you do some reading or some research and you're looking to throw some concepts in for individual songs. But I kind of go through phases where I'm reading about something or um, if I'm reading about that thing, it's just that thing. And Mm. it happened to be Rome at the time that we were reading or writing the material for Semper Pessimus. So I wanted to do uh, the story of Nero Claudius, 
because I, I just found his life, his life's like so bizarre and twisted. You know, it's, he had every toxic relationship <laughs> that you can imagine from like abusive mother to, you know, incestuous father to the whole works. Like, and uh, there's a big rock star element to Nero as well. So that, that kind of resonated as well with us. So we were like, yeah, let's go for that. You know, you didn't have to sell it much to the lads then, no? Sorry, Richie, what were you saying? Uh, no, Richie was asking, did you have to sell the concept idea to the other two boys in the band much? Or were they? Not at all. They were, they were happy enough to go ahead with it. I could write lyrics about anything. And as long as they're playing their tits off, they'd be happy enough to go ahead um, but yeah, it, it, like it is, it's a bit of a departure though, was it, because you, you had done like quite a lot of stuff quite quickly as in uh, a couple albums for Witches Brew and stuff um, in like a couple of years apart and stuff. And then did you spend, was the last thing you did the, the EP, the 2015 thing, or was there another album after that? No, the last one was the Combine Harvester one, which was 2016. Oh. Um so- is that like what, like he's been working on this one then for like a lot more than you usually would for a record, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, in fairness, like we uh, we started putting songs together for it in 2016. And then we ended up, me and Jake ended up filling in for Hellbastard for two tours and just helping out. And then Aaron was drumming with Zlatan Arad. Now, Acid Age was still writing amongst all this. Um, and then COVID hit and the world changed so many thousands of times and mm. you know so you so were like in 2000 in 2016 Jude were you still a three piece or were you a four piece at that stage <laughs> we've had lineup changes all throughout the writing process we were actually a six piece at a point right. yes <laughs> where we well, had a violin player and everything <laughs> that was something I was expecting funny enough because whenever you originally said that you know, you were doing like a kind of an album, you know, where there was going to have a theme around, you know, Rome and there was like going to be a fiddle player in the band. Yeah. I was kind of listening to the album thinking there'll be a fiddle solo or something <laughs> here. Well, so what was it? Because he's originally, like, he's went from being like three pieces the, at the start and then adding uh, Eddie on vocals and then adding, uh, was it Matt on rhythm guitar, was it? Or, yeah, yeah. And Body. then uh, violin player. Yeah, and then actually Eddie left and we had Eddie Bailey from English Dogs singing for us for a while. Yes, that's true. Um, You know, we've done that much chopping and changing, but what we were trying to do was just experiment a wee bit. And we weren't trying to build a whole new band or anything. We were just trying to see, like, how far can we push the thing? But there's um, a certain security comes with having, like, just a trio where it's okay all of us fit in one car, yeah. all of us, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, things didn't work out with the the other members. Like, um, Maddie was very focused. He does jujitsu, and he was very focused on that. So he had to pursue that. Eddie was in Mortemized, and Mortemized was kind of starting to take off. So, like, um, me and him had a chat. And we had a mutual agreement, really, that he would pursue Mortemized, and I continue working on Acid Age. Anna um, had to leave the band because she came down with this uh, condition known as pregnancy. Um, And, uh, you know, me and Anna and all all of our members, like past and present, we're all still on good terms, you know. We don't have any any bad blood or anything. But things just worked out that we were just straight back to a trail. And that's kind of how we intend to keep it now, you know. 
Is it a funny thing though as well, though, man, in the sense that, you know, I think whenever you started out, there was a bit more kind of Zappa thing because it's like, you know, you and Jake are very accomplished players. So it's like, kind of write whatever sort of riff. Was there a bit of a kind of like, like thrashing up the riff whenever you had like other members in? Like, were you having to Zappa school them or were, were you just like, right, okay? <laughs> Maybe a wee bit in some areas. Like, uh, Anna is a. Uh... She's actually an All-Ireland violinist, a champion, like, and uh, she, as far as Irish traditional goes, like, she is a fantastic player, you know, and she's yeah. got her grades and all too. Um, but I was trying to introduce her to, like, Jean-Luc Pontier and all those kind of violin players and be like, you know, you can go eccentric. It doesn't have to follow this melody or be, feel like a, a reel or a jig, you know? Yeah. So there was a wee bit of that, certainly, but I'll tell you what, one of the most impressive things I ever saw Anna do and I wish it had been recorded one day she stuck on Bonded by Blood and just played violin over the top of it like the whole album start to finish yeah you know? Class. Um, that was wicked you know yeah. it was really cool to see that you know Jesus wait Combine Harvester did you record that three times or something no no Um, we recorded it once we had loads of trouble with uh, this current one we've recorded it Semper Pessimus a few times. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so it's the actual end. new one. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a five year gap between this and the last album. So we had um, tried everything recorded with here, recorded there. And then we eventually decided to go analog. And, you know, as I've said, it's no disrespect to digital albums. It would be hypocritical of me to, it's not some like analog or die fucking cult thrash thing you know I love digital albums a lot of my favourite albums are done that way but this was about us being a young band like let's try this old school method that's mm. like way before our time and just for a bit of fun yeah. you know so that's why we went and done that in the end and it actually turned out to be it was meant to be I believe it's the way the album was supposed to, supposed to sound you know when you're going into that whole analogue recording um, is there much difference in relation to how you set up with your guitars or is yeah, there everything's different okay can you walk us through that Jude because some of us wouldn't know you have to relearn basically the whole procedure of recording so everything comes into account now um, you're also required to use less gain um, on your amps so if you want a big crunchy metal sound you don't set up a crunchy metal sound you set up a hard rock sound and you know, you want to blend it. You don't just mic up the amp, you mic up the room. Oh, you know, okay, okay. Wee details as well, like uh, because it's recorded to tape, there's no like cut and paste. So either the band can play the entire tune all the way through or fuck you, you know. Mm -hmm. So you have to nail the whole take and you have to uh, have a good energy as well. So you can record something perfect all the way through and listen to it and still be like, I don't like the energy on it, you know, and then you have to redo it, you know. <laughs> So um, things like that. And the main one is just the lack of cut and paste and um, the editing. It really comes down to the editing and the production that's different. You know, yeah. recording is recording, but the, the actual process of, you know, even post-production is much different because you're standing in every single angle of the room with a microphone trying to find the right tone. And whereas now you can kind of, and it's a blessing, actually. Now you can just kind of download a VST. It's like, okay, so I want Dave Mustaine's guitar sound. You type it in, you hit it, you get it, you know? Yeah. Something that I, I always wondered about, because we when we started out, we did our first demos and stuff on analog, 
And mm-hmm. like it, it's something that I, I think a lot of people don't realize is like making music generally without being able to see what you're doing. Like people who make music now are relying on their ears and their eyes. And sometimes it's their eyes that are telling them that something's out of time or in time and stuff. Yeah. It's like whenever you're doing it the other way around, you're 100% reliant on what you can hear, you know? And it's a totally, it's a totally different ball game, as you said, not being able to drop in to fix a riff or, you know, drop in to fix a drum fill and stuff, you know, but yeah. like, so if you guys recorded it, did the, did the material change or did you guys keep the same songs and then re-record them again and again or what? We recorded them with a six piece band first and then, it was a case of whenever we slimmed down to a trio again, we had to readapt the songs to suit a trio. So there's still quite a lot of, you know, you can still do layers and all, obviously, with analog. You know, it's not that bad. But um, when you're layering, you're now thinking about, okay, so we're a trio rather mm-hmm. than a six piece. Um, and that does play a wee bit in your head too because, you know, you're thinking about, okay, do I do 16 harmony guitars and do I get the didgeridoo out and do I have an orchestra behind me or whatever, you know, you can go totally, you know, Joe, like you can go totally AWOL and just go mad and have the best fun recording. But uh, the big thing for us going analog this time, and you can do this digital too, I will say, but the big one for the analog thing was we wanted to be in a room together and a big room, a drum room with a big high ceiling and a nice, you know, nice acoustics. Um, And we wanted to enjoy the process of recording, you know, rather than um, I've been in situations before where I'm maybe sitting and, you know, I'm tracking a guitar and all I hear is blip, 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 you know, and the, the click track and all that can be a bit, not bad, but annoying, you know, like I, I just rather play with a drummer. Mm. So that's what we went with this time. Just let's get the three of us in together. You'll actually catch the live energy of the band and yeah. the way it's recorded is the way that we sound. Yes, you know? yes, yes, yes. Um, so therefore, there wasn't a lot of uh, chopping and changing of songs. So you literally went in and there wasn't really much changes to any of the songs as such then. Not in terms of structure or lyrics or anything. Yeah. Maybe like maybe a, a second guitar part where Maddie maybe had a part. Jake would say, hey, I can do that on the bass instead or, or something like that, you know. Yeah. And it was um, like, why did you go with Lee Small then? Um, we actually were looking for someone to produce the album. Now, we've had plenty of engineers, but we've never had a producer. And mm. um, for us, especially trying a brand new recording method, uh, or new for us, we, we wanted to make sure that there was someone with a bit of expertise in that field that was going to, you know, give us a good kick up the hole. And, and see, to be fair, Elise is a very, very, very inspiring person, even on just like a pure human level. Um, she's, you know, her life story and everything. Uh, she's uh, born. Uh, Viet- she's born in Vietnam. She was abandoned as a child. She was an orphan and then adopted by French parents. And she's been all around the world recording with various bands. You know, and you know, she's a very, very, very interesting person. And her experiences and the way she thinks about things certainly affect her production. You know, she would yeah. come at you with something like some cultural thing, you know, so she'd be saying, oh, yeah, yeah. so uh, a lot of music from Slovenia will have this kind of thing, and then you'll just open your mind to some new idea, you know. So that's kind of what we wanted, because we're just a trio, but if we can have a fourth voice in who's going to help us, yeah, you know, it's only going to benefit. 
And like, what artist has she worked with, Jude? <laughs> she actually, um, there's a, a a band from Belfast called Bad Boat. I don't know if you know yeah, them. I heard of Bad Boat, yeah. Well, she's she's worked with them as well. Um, but she would work a lot with like uh, folk bands and, you know, uh, like weird ensemble things. Like, I can't remember the name of the project, but she let me hear something. And it was someone on a piano, someone with a harp, and then someone absolutely shredding an electric guitar. And it was just the weirdest, you know, thing. I just find it so interesting, you know? Yeah. So it's off the wall, some of the stuff. It's definitely a production, man, that, like, you can hear the influences in it. Like, there is that Al Demiola in the guitar sound as well as Master Puppets, you know? Mm. But the drums and the bass are also really interesting because... You can definitely hear the kind of death, the Georgia we kind of sound yes, in some of it. You can, but and Primus as well. Elements of it are really outside metal. You know, like it's yeah, not yeah. a drum sound that you would hear on a on a heavy metal album usually. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's interesting because uh, one of my favorite productions ever is uh, the Black Sabbath Heaven and Hell album. I just think yeah. the production on it's flawless. Before they bastardized it with the two thousand and nine remaster, just. The old nah. school one, that I, I love it. I think, don't touch it. It's perfect, you know. And uh, funny enough, when we were uh, listening to the drums, that was one of the things we were listening out for. It was like, how close is the reverb of the room to Bill Ward's reverb on the Heaven and Hell album? You know? Jesus. So you do get the... But it's not, a, it's not an added reverb after. It's actually the sound of the room, hmm. the really? reverb, you know. So that's cool. <laughs> it sort of puts me in mind. There's an album, uh, I don't know if you know it, um, Mind Wars by Holy Terra. Oh yeah, of course. It's yeah. got a very similar, like very, like you could nearly imagine, like Led Zeppelin playing through that production, you know. But it's like, like really fast, so like it doesn't have that high gain chugging that you associate with heavy metal. But you know, mm, it yeah. has a really clear kind of organic sound. Yeah, but it's to be commended, man. Like you know, th- there's definitely a problem with metal that too many albums sound the same, or you know, too many bands have similar sounds, and like. That's the thing that like made all the bands that we love great back in the day was you know Judas Priest guitar sound or you know Iron Maiden's bass sound you know mm. yeah absolutely and I think another thing um, you see a lot of bands that are kind of going back to analog too now older bands that are talking about oh yeah I'm gonna like um, Anthrax done an album a couple of years ago I can't just mind the name of it it's the one with Fight 'Em Till You Can't on it. Um, yeah. Worship music. Yeah. Um, worship music. Charlie Benanti actually recorded all the drums to two inch tape as well. Uh, he yeah. says he just prefers the sound of, you know, the proper uh, spreading the disease <laughs> drum production. He was trying to re- recapture that, you know. So it's, it's maybe the kind of thing that's going to end up becoming trendy or just completely obliterated. It can only go one of two ways, I think. But, um, We've just enjoyed the process. You know? Yeah, and is there much of a difference in price, Jude, between going digital and analog? Oh, hell yeah. It's yeah. far more expensive to do it analog because yeah. you're paying for reels and tape and, mm. you know, it's not as simple as just saving a file on a computer. You yeah. know, like you're, you're paying for every reel and maybe, like, for two-inch tape, one reel, you're talking about 70 quid, you know, and okay. you, maybe, you maybe need, like, six of them just to <laughs> get a full album's worth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you went to all that trouble and then you sent it off then to Joel Grind of Toxic Holocaust. Yeah. Why, why Joel? Um, Joel's kind of had his 
finger in a lot of great productions lately and he does work a lot with analog bands as well okay um and it was sort of a well at least he knows what he's doing um and i do like his 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 work you know it doesn't matter if it's him producing something or mastering something or just his band like i love toxic holocaust as well Mm -hmm. and you know what else he was an absolute pleasure to work with um we sent him the full album of stuff and he says to me it'll probably take me about a week and i was thinking yeah right an hour's worth of music you're going to master it in a week he got back to me in three days and it was done and not only did he have it mastered he had alternate masters. He had a master for CD, a master for vinyl, a master for tape, a master for MP3, and a master for WAV. So, like, he's just an absolute machine. I don't know how he finds time to do it. Jesus Christ, that's nuts, isn't it? Three days. Yeah. 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 Must have loved it, man. Simple as that. Now, the two, so. the two of you have uh, a lot of connections going back. I know that uh, John Roach played on your album. John's the man. He's absolutely brilliant. Such a stellar guitar player. Like, man, that's high praise coming from you. Fucking hell. <laughs> well, I tell you what, one of the first things I remember when we got John to guest on that track and I got the isolated track back and I remember listening to it and I knew fine rightly he hadn't VST'd it. He'd actually mic'd up an amp. And I remember thinking, oh, that guitar sounds glorious. It was actually the best tone on the whole recording <laughs> was that we better guitar playing John done. The sound was just absolutely beautiful. And he used to go to um, a guitar institute over in England. And did you ever see uh, Wayne's World? Do you remember yeah. the, uh, Pete Friesen, the guy who played in Alice Cooper's band, where he's like, actually, isn't that Milwaukee? Yeah, yeah. That was a uh, good John's guitar teacher. So him and right. a couple other dudes, like... Um, Chris from Divine Chaos and stuff, they all were in the same shred, shred college together for a while. Which was, <laughs> and that was the good thing about getting John into the band, was it was like someone who wanted to do that kind of stuff, because Domo was a lot more of a kind of kind of bluesy dude or like a Thin Lizzy type guy, you know? Yeah, so, well, funny enough, see, while you're talking about that, one thing I've noticed about Domo, see, in Untouchable Glory, Domo has a really bluesy guitar sound for the leads, which I thought was really different, not just for Thrash, but for Gamma Bomb as well. Um, yeah. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I loved the tone and the touch that he got. It was like, it was really bizarre because it sounded like, okay, he's not using a Charvel Strat there. That sounds like Jimi Hendrix's Strat, you know, for the leads, but he's still playing blistering lines, you know. The same, like, all the lads since then, like we, we use, like we have this like really old Charvel that we use for doing our rhythm tracks on. And like right. it's dead notes from like the 12th fret up and like, you know, you can't even use the B string on it, it's totally frigged. But like it was the one that we used to use all the time back in the day and like the the Max Cavalera strings on it sound amazing. <laughs> so we use it for all the rhythm tracks and then the lads use those Vigiers for doing all the leads and the class. Are, like they, the, are they using the Vigiers exclusively now or? No, because uh, like, basically what the crack was was that like we had an endorsement and stuff from Jackson or from Charvel and Jackson and then they moved over to Aristides, who made those like Arium guitars and shit. But mm-hmm. like, like then they ended up losing a one because there was a picture of one of them playing some other guitar. And you kind of realize the older you get that you just actually want to play whatever guitars you want. And it, like, yeah. if having an endorsement means you're not allowed to play your, you know, your favorite Les Paul, then you're better off just playing your favorite Les Paul. So yeah, absolutely. Like a PRS or Les Paul in the studio. Funny enough, Phil 
Bill Steer said the same thing. Um, he's actually famous for turning down endorsements and like big companies approach him. Gibson have been like, here, we'll build you ESP, you name it. And he's apparently turned them all down saying, no, look, I just use whatever I want, you know? Um, I think I think that is definitely, that's the way to do it. Because like, if you think back to, you know, even like there's probably Floyd Rose guitars that you love, but like, you know, if someone had to say you had to play Floyd Rose guitars, you would probably put your hair out, look, you know. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is, um, I think endorsements are better for like small items. So if you could get, I'd rather have an endorsement for like strings and guitar picks than like guitars, you know. Totally. I think that would be much more beneficial. <laughs> There's something really shit about rock and roll like that in terms of great, you know, if Jack Daniels want to sponsor you or something, I think that's brilliant. And I would love that, obviously. But like, there's like this whole fucking like monster energy drinks and stuff like that. <laughs> sort of stuff. It's like, you know, whenever you see pictures of Iron Maiden wearing all their Nike gear and you're just like, oh, lads. We're really? doing the Garth Algar. <laughs> it's exactly. like people only do things for the money, man. <laughs> anyway, I got a message from Anto from Cinescence and he said for you to buy a, a re-lamp, Jude. Me to buy a re- Oh, I know what he's talking about. Okay. Um, Anto doesn't like Marshall. Right, okay. um, it's not Anto's fault. Anto is a great guy, but he was dropped on his head as a child, so um, <laughs> he 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 hates Marshalls. And look, I can't help that, and I don't even use Marshall. I just like them. <laughs> and on what side does Big Paul fall on then? Big Paul loves Marshall as well. So. Ah, okay, okay. So Anto's outweighed. Like I would also associate like cynicism with that kind of like nearly sort of like Randall or Engel tone, you yeah. know. <laughs> It's like of that era, you know, like that sort of it was a band saturated, band and they were like, you know, later day Metallica, you know, therapy, that kind of thing, and it just had that kind of nineties tone. The night, yeah, absolutely, like uh, maybe even a wee bit of prong or something. Yeah, we should definitely. It's weird, isn't it? Like whenever you think of like things like that, like Cinescence and Gamma Bomb and Acid Age, like. There's actually not really that many bands still going in Northern Ireland who've been about for like 10 or 12 or 20 years or whatever, you know? Like some of the old, oldest dudes like Condemned or Funny for Christ and stuff like have quit in the last... Like Bad Boat are probably one of the oldest bands about apart from, you know, us or Cinescence. Well, yeah. Sky Pilot are 20 years as well, aren't they? Yeah. There's yeah. actually... Um, it's funny you're saying that because I was I've been talking to everyone all week about visceral attack. It's been the weirdest week. Jake has actually started working a new job, and Aiden is fucking working with him. It's like, oh, I know you. You know, those guys are gonna fucking get lost into the biggest cloud of dope smoke of all time. <laughs> like, you know, like, and both of them are exactly the same, like kind of like quiet lads who like playing weird sweeps, like, you know. The uh, the thing is with them with visceral attack is they're, they're a band I still thoroughly miss. Like see that quick and severe release. I still think it's one of the best things to ever come out of the island. I, I love that album. It was like every track on it's perfect. All the sound clips from the movies and all on it. Uh, the artwork. I love the entire thing. And it's just it's one of those bands, like, everyone gets them, I'm sure. Like, there's that one local band that you wish, oh, for fuck's sake, lads, get it together. For me, it's Visceral Attack. Like, you know, I'd love to give it's them a good fucking um, good talking to. Like, well, not, like, fucking steer the band, but, like, 
Domo produced like a a seven inch for them. And yeah. We brought them out on tour and stuff, and then like got them some gigs, like supporting Zentrix and stuff in Dublin. And the first around, time I actually yeah. saw them was supporting you guys on SSS, and that right. was yeah. in the Man- not well. Mandela in the bar, you know. In the bar, yeah, in Queen's Union or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so like they're a totally class band, but it was like right at that cost of after they did a UK tour with us, I got them on the or an option to do a UK tour with Savage Messiah and a couple of the lads in Visceral Attack were joining or doing uni and it was just like the wrong time and then just like literally a couple of months later everyone was like, nah, I can't be able to look, you know. Mm. It's sad too, like obviously, you know, Life goes on and some people go to uni and then mortgages happen and stuff. But they're mm. one of the bands I actually hope someday has like a at least a 20-year anniversary or something. You know, some kind I think, of... I think they will do something. In like right around the time they broke up, they had most of their next album written and demoed and stuff. So I'd be really surprised, especially because like Adam, the rhythm guitar player, it like fills in for Gamma Bomb occasionally. So he's going to do this tour with Exoder now in October or whatever with us. So he still plays guitar and AD still plays guitar and stuff. Um, and Chris, their singer, is in um, Subordinate or like a grind yeah, band. They're like a crosscore type thing. It wouldn't take too much, too much uh, convincing sure. to get them together. Mm. Like, let's talk about support slots that she played in Jude. Name out a few that were memorable. DRI was a cool one. Um, Acid Rain was a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and, that, was a, that was a brilliant gig. Oh yeah, um, and the and Gamma Bomb actually was one of our our first support slots, if not our first support big support slot. Um, uh, funny, I would love to do um, I would love to do uh, some more stuff with with Gamma Bomb. Like eventually, obviously, when all this shit lifts, hope we can get something sorted, Joe. Because uh, I actually remember thinking. The, the kind of difference from our new album, um, the Semper Pessimus stuff, actually could really complement your show really well as well, too, as like an opening band, too. We could, yeah, no, we'd be we well. get this little attack on it as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things, isn't it? Like, where, like the older uh, you're, the longer in the game, the more you realize you're better off playing with different styles of bands and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Similar bands. Um, but yeah, it'd be great to get you guys over for a couple of gigs in England or something if it was possible, like um, later in the thing. Um, but yeah, man, like tell, uh, I'm actually going to go and grab a beer. Tell Richie the bloody acid rain part one nightmare that happened to yeah. Oh yeah, I love telling this story. <laughs> the so, acid um, rain part one, okay. <laughs> yeah, so what happened was we were on our way to support Acid Rain and it was, you know, great opportunity for us. We were really excited. We're on our way to Dublin yeah. and Jake, our bass player, had just bought a new car, brand new car. Um, it was actually an ex-police car and he was told by the car salesman <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, this is 100%. This car is the shit, man. You can drive this through, the, you know, the yeah. Taliban drive this through the desert like you'll be grand. So... Jake takes the car and we all load it up with our gear and about 30 miles outside Dublin, um, there's just a ball of flames um, come out of the front of it. Christ. Okay. So we didn't know, what do we do here? Do we bail out of the car and just fucking duck and roll or do we pull it? <laughs> so Jake wrestles with the car, pulls it in. <laughs> we all get out of the car and like the car is fucked, right? There's a wee, um, 
there's a wee petrol station over the road. So we, we run across the motorway because the car's not doing it. You know, we run across. Um, and the car's still on fire, like? It, it stopped, actually, but it was smoking like okay, a bastard. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so we, we run into the shop and we're just, like, looking for fucking everything, radiator cooling, fucking mm. duct tape, you name it, you know. <laughs> Head back into the... Um, into the over to the car, open it up, and we're looking at it. And Aaron's like shining a torch on it, and we're fucking trying to pull apart the car. And like, none of us have a clue, not a mechanic in the van. You know? I'm gonna say that because I'd be fucked straight away. Yeah, no well, I'll tell you what, I do know for sure you can't duct tape a radiator back together. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so we made efforts to do that, and we oh, left. Jesus, Cookstown. what time is it now at this stage? Like, how much? Well, we left Cookstown at half past one in the afternoon. Right. Oh Jesus! Okay, you gave yourselves plenty of time. Well, yeah, because we were gonna go down and just load in, do our sign check, fuck off, and get a bite to eat. You know. Mm. By the time we actually, well, what happened was by the time the car went up, it was probably about half seven, and we were now like stuck. Like we're now stuck with this car. We're trying to phone people, sort it. We're standing on the hard shoulder, you know, trying to work out what to do. Um, can't get any signal was another thing. No one's phone was like behaving. Um, until Aaron actually pointed out, look, there's one of those SOS phones. Now, oh, a device Jesus, I've... the ones that never... <laughs> do they actually work? Yeah, they do, but I've never <laughs> used one in my life. So that was the... You, you talk fuck. about retro thrash, that was the most retro piece of equipment I've ever fucking put my hand to in my life. <laughs> I went over and we, we rang it, and you don't even know what to say because there's, like, no guidance on, you know, help, my car's on fire. <laughs> you know, like, so... They send out a, a, a guy with a tow truck and he loads the, the car up. And as it turns out, he was just a mental bastard. That guy was nuts because he was sitting in the car. He's like, you're in a band, are you? And we're like, yeah. And he says, yeah, see Elvis. Elvis isn't dead, I swear. See if you have oh, 100 pounds. Jesus he Christ. He says, if you have 100 pounds, you put a bet on tomorrow. Elvis is going to come out alive in the next few years. I'd, I'd bet 100 pounds on it tomorrow. And Charlie, like, oh. I presume you still have that docket, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> so um, so that went on for a while and we ended up getting dropped off. I think it was Lusk or something we were left in. What? Jesus and, Christ. Yeah, Lusk. He just dumped us and all the gear and then took the car off and let basically give Jake a bill, like wrote it out, says, there you go, Jake. Here. <laughs> so we didn't make it to Acid Rain. Um, by the time we got back to Cookstown, now we left Cookstown at one thirty in the afternoon. Yeah. By the time we got back to Cookstown, it was 1.30 in the morning. Oh, my fucking God. So no gig, like completely broken, no mojo, no joy. You know? And you're still um, together after all yeah. that. That's the sign so, of a fucking great banjo. Those are, those are the kind of cam- camaraderie moments, aren't there, where you're relying on, like, you're lucky that you're there with your mates. Could you imagine being there with guys you fucking hated or something? Like yeah. that? Like, the best moments. Yeah. Mm. all it takes is for one fucker to start moaning and complaining and then you're just going oh for fuck's sake here we go but yeah it's a yeah. great, great yeah. sign of fucking some acid rain give you a lovely shout out that night anyway man so we did like, and we got a hard booing from the audience too <laughs> you know, man, Eric, that's fucking great seeing my defense like people there who knew is who were looking forward and booing instead of people being like I don't care if they're playing or not. Like you know, that's like you know, I'd have fucking booed me too. You know what it's like when you're when you're throwing the beer in you. It's like yeah, the band didn't show up. Well, fuck the band. You know, <laughs> like. And who, but, does uh, anybody uh, jump well, in we, instead of you? No. 
Who was the other uh, band? No, actually, there was Animator. We were playing oh, as well. Animator, so, class, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it would have been a great gig. So we went and did the following gig, which was in Belfast, and then uh, H from Acid Rain cracked some joke about it's not the first time that a car from Northern <laughs> Ireland's been seen in flames, you know. And it, it was one of those, do you know, one of those oh, Dave Mustaine, this one's for the cause moments where the entire audience is just staring at him. <laughs> sure, he's a natural comedian. You, you, you give him license for that, surely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's a great lad, but like, I don't know. The fact that he's been a stand up comedian for 25 years baffles me. Like, he's fucking, he's always putting his foot immediately in the middle of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a funny bastard, though. Yeah, Dave released a fantastic album last year. Age of Entitlement. Some fucking return to form, isn't it? Absolutely. This kind of segues. I don't know if you feel if you're happy enough talking about this man, but like um, dissonance and like, well, so how did? Because we had the exact same thing happened to us with our first record, man. You know, um, oh, the record label. Yeah, we we signed a Nuclear Assaults label to make our first album, and they basically said to us, "Make the album, and then we'll bring it out and." blah, blah, blah. And we made the album and then handed it in and they were like, oh, the label's going bust or like whatever. But so what was the deal with you guys? Dissonance is a really interesting one. Um, we approached them. That's the first thing I should say. Like, um, it wasn't like they contacted us. We went to them with the idea that like, yeah, let's do this. Um, we've got this album. We've got it mostly written. We had enough of it recorded where we could send them and say, here's some raws. Um, if you want to check it out, they got back to us and it was maybe two or three days of chatting on the phone with the guy that runs the label. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about him. I'd never met him or anything, but you know, he, he seemed pleasant enough on the phone and we're chatting. He says, yeah, we're doing this and we're releasing this and we've done this with Diamond Head and we've got, you know, this band and whatever else. And we were going, Sorry, yeah, this dude, um, where are they based? Where? Uh, London. Oh, London. Okay. I thought they were American. Okay. Yeah. So um, he was saying, yeah, we've got the, they, they had just signed a band called Toledo Steel that I really like. And um, they, they had also uh, got Steve Grimmett's Grim Reaper around the same time as us. And we were really excited. They sent us out contracts <clears throat> and uh, we signed the contracts, read them. Now the contract was pretty interesting because it was mostly in our favor. So it was like a good contract. Um. So we signed it and sent it back to them. And then we couldn't get in contact with them ever since. We were writing to them, emailing them, you know, like literally it got so bad after about a year that I literally took out. Yeah. Oh, it was a year of them ignoring ghost, not answering the phone, not answering emails, not answering Facebook. You know, it actually got so bad that I literally wrote a letter like pen and paper letter with a stamp and everything and sent it to them. It's like, can you please fucking answer us kind of thing? But after a one strong worded email, I sort of said, I, I wrote an email with the header just saying, this is urgent. Can you please contact us? You know, big capitals, you know, yeah. I kind of got fed up and um, I didn't know because we had signed the contract and it was countersigned. And as far as we were concerned, that was it. You know, yeah. they were putting out the album as the agreement would state. Um, after I sent them the final strong-worded email, we got a, a response uh, from another, not the same guy, but from another guy who basically said, hi guys, just to let you know, we're selling the label and every band um, that's on it's been dropped. Sorry, better luck next time kind of thing. And I remember thinking, 
the thing wasn't, you know, obviously COVID had happened and the world had changed so much. My issue wasn't at any point them saying, look, we can't do this for you. We're sorry. It wasn't even anything to do with uh, we're selling the label. My issue was the absolute shit level of communication. Yeah. You know, um, if they had said to me at any point, I don't think we can do what we've promised you in contract. I'd yeah, be like, exactly. Yeah, you can lads. move on like for fuck's yeah, sake. I'd be like, look lads, fuck's sake, this pandemic's hmm. racked small businesses left, right and center. You know, like I couldn't blame them at all, you know, but the lack of communication just felt like a, so that costs you a year. Like plastic, you know, it cost the band a year then, basically. Oh yeah, there was a constant year of trying to get in contact with our label. You know, that's so. just fucking nuts. How is that possible? Like? Be man, if you guys had a record this kick-ass album and handed it into them, and then we're in this situation, you know, where you were trying to get in contact with them, what's going on with promoting the album, and they were just ignoring you. It's like. I think you guys missed a major bullet in terms of doing that because whenever I was working with Agent Steel and they were signed with Dissonance, mm, I had fuck, yeah. like, dealings with the, uh, the label and they just seemed really rink-a-dink. Like, you know, it was like the dude, and like this is like public knowledge or whatever, the dude who was running the show was one of the big uh, guys who was backing uh, Plastic Head and stuff like that. And uh, he was an independently wealthy guy um, and uh, allegedly had some pretty far-right political connections and stuff like that. So what I, I, had heard, I had heard something similar about that, but um, this was all after the fact. And what I had actually heard was um, he worked for, it was something to do with local agriculture in his area. So he was like a fucking, I don't know what the title is, a supreme chancellor of agriculture, you know? <laughs> but um, he actually had done his part to um, get UKIP underway and sort of yeah. pushed, gave, gave a big fucking payout to, or not a payout, a, a handout to Nigel Farage, sort of like a, if you support our farmers in the area, we'll, you know, give, we'll give you a push in your political movement, you know? Jesus so, like, Christ, this is nuts. Ultimately, it probably ended up being for the best because I didn't know all that till after the fact. You know, it's one of those things where like you don't know who you're really dealing with. Like I go over the road to the shop to buy a pint of milk, and I don't know who. Like the girl serving me, is she going to be like extreme far right or you know, like you know, just one of those things. Having made a brilliant album, and the last thing that you would have wanted to do is invertedly being in that situation where here's this person who obviously doesn't have the band's best interests at heart, <laughs> who's now in charge of this thing that is really dear to your heart. And it's kind of like, you guys made this album, The Three, is in a in a very organic way, you know? And it kind of feels like this is the right way to release it, you know? Because a lot of people will say in music, like, if you, like, if you want a job done well, you kind of have to do it yourself, you know? We've been talking to loads of management people with Gambom over the last year, and, like, people will say... You know, great. If Ron Smallwood is hanging about and he wants to do that, brilliant. But if you have anyone who's less dedicated than you are, you know, how can they possibly do a great job of, you know, banging the drum, you know? Yeah, that's it. I'm sort of feeling that way myself too because we did sort of have a few negotiations with other labels and then, like, looked at distribution deals and all, and it was sort of like, no one was offering anything that we couldn't do ourselves. And I mean that with no disrespect because I love independent labels. I mean, 
first Gamma Bomb album I ever owned was released through Witches Brew. You know, like uh, I've always liked independent, you know, but my um, my feelings on it were just like, uh, I, I don't think I can, I don't think if you're going to offer me something that I can just fucking do myself at half an hour at the laptop, like there's nearly no point, you know. And Jake and Aaron sort of taking that as well. They're like, Aaron would be very protective of Acid Age. Like he wouldn't like um, too much. He doesn't like too many people having influence on it or, you know, it's about convincing him to let's try a producer. And he'll be like, "Mm," you know, we joke and call him Samper Pessimist. (laughs) But you um, always need one of them in the band though. Well, it's really good to have him because the thing is, I'm like the other way. I'm like, let's do everything all the time. And Aaron's like, no, let's do nothing. And then Jake's like the balance between us. So like between the three of us, we end up always coming to an agreement where all three of us are 100% happy before we go forward with anything. And that's that's how we've done everything from production to how we're releasing the album, what format it's going on, where we're distributing it, you know. So it's worked out well. And at the end of the day, man, I think that, that that's the most important thing, never mind labels or even albums or whatever. It's like the camaraderie between the three dudes in the band, you know, and the chemistry there to make more brilliant music is all dependent on you guys being great mates with each other, you know, and it's like yeah. the, the more things you do that like sort of separate you or, you know, distance you, the, the more that whole process gets difficult. So I think it's great that you've stuck your guns and brought out a brilliant album and that, it seems like now is a great time because, like, there's loads of really big bands and, you know, death and thrash and stuff who are sitting on albums because they don't want to bring them out until they can go on tour, you know? Whereas I think you get extra, because you, you guys have an album out now, there's loads of room for, you know, that to get noticed. Whereas I think if there was a new Megadeth album out the same week as you guys or whatever, it's, it's more difficult, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we... There's a really good thrash band I'm enjoying at the minute called Enforced. Yeah, we're all into them. <laughs> Killgrid. Yeah, Killgrid by Enforced. Oh, it's fantastic. I, I couldn't th- believe when I heard it. I thought uh, you were outselling that. Pardon? I thought your album was outselling that. I, yeah, at a time. I don't know if it is now or not, but... I mean, that's superficial crap. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did notice, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's no. a nice one. Have you heard of him, Joe? Yeah, Enforced? No. Bit, bit of like Power Trip meets what? I would call them Power Trip on steroids. Mm. They're like a faster Power Trip. Power Trip meets Razor. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's actually a very good comparison, yeah. Sounds pretty good. Fucking um, shotgun yeah. justice. God be with the days. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I like. I love that kind of style of thrash. Like, and I very much did really like the Power Trip album, especially the production in the first one. I thought mm. it was absolutely killer. Um, but yeah, like I think that like it's weird. Like some forms of thrash end up being overpopulated. Like you know, like there was for the a while there was a lot of bands who sounded like Toxic Holocaust, or for a while there was a lot of bands who sounded like you know Bonded by Blood, kind of testamenty kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think it's that there's there's bands are moving more into that kind of slightly hardcore kind of sound and like I'm sure you you guys played uh, gigs uh, with uh, Hollow Truth do you remember the, they were from like we never played with them but yeah I know the band you're on about they were like a sort of more like a power they were signed to Power Trips label at a time as well 
Southern Lords. Definitely kind of like big suicidal Hennessy's fans. It was like that yeah. kind of like. But it, man, see, to be honest, it's like anything for interesting vocals. There's nothing worse than hearing a band who are musically really cool and then they just have like, you know, like a James Hetfield impersonator type singer, you know. There's way too much of that kind of stuff in thrash and metal generally, you know. There is. You're spot on, yeah. In relation to vocals, you had to change them a bit for this album because you were singing, giving a voice to, we'd say, characters of the concept story. Yeah. That- I actually got snobby with that for a bit of fun. So um, I done, if you listen to the album, if you hold the the actual CD, you'll see um, certain songs are written, obviously different periods of Nero's life. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a singer. Like I I don't sing for anyone ever, but (laughs) um, as far as like yelling and squealing, I'll give that a go anytime. That's just great fun. But um. I tried to do um, different voices depending on what character I was portraying from the story. Yeah. So like uh, if I was doing Agrippina, who's the mother of Nero, I would um, go for like a higher pitched, more black metal squealy type thing. Um, if no. I was doing just like a basic overview narration, it would just be like a death metal voice. And then if it was Nero, I was trying to do like a spoiled brat thrash metal voice. You know. <laughs> So I, I tried to get a wee bit arty, but as much as I could without making it, like, you ever notice the way fucking Axel Rose has two different voices? He's yeah. got his, ah, and then he's got his, ah, voice, and he kind of changes between the two. So um, I tried to do something similar to that, but without just radically having different voices, you know? So it, it felt consistent, but I don't know if anyone would ever pick up on that. That's like the very artistry wank that you know only <laughs> that wrote it pick up on you know well we'll have a listen to uh, my favorite song on the album they kind of change but this one for the moment uh, does it for me it's my wretched tomb and yeah, um, that's my favorite too it's a really yeah there's a fucking mm-hmm. brilliant guitar solo on it as well but we'll give it a go there's, here there's about five brilliant guitars <laughs> no let me joke it one um, in particular that's actually, factually that's actually the hardest piece of music um, in the history of the band like the most difficult to pull off because there's wow. that many changes and then there's the wee jazz section and yes. then, you know, and then right. there's the big breakdown riff you know so okay we'll give it a listen here then Yeah. 
But uh, that is nuts. I just want to ask, first of all, like, Joe, as a bass player, like, that's fucking outrageous what's going on. Well, it's, uh, it, like, but it, one of the things that I absolutely love about it is it has that sort of, like, the rush feel of, like, the drums and the bass are doing their own thing. Like, you know, yeah. at the guitar will go and leave and do its own crazy stuff, but also come back in for... Mm-hmm. But, like, man, that's off. Like, and the thing is, like... I think a lot of people would know that like um, you and Jake are a- incredibly accomplished players and stuff, you know, we're, but like, I think like you have to doff your cap to Aaron for being able to like, and that was That's like a huge thing. This is Aaron's first album as well. Like he's never released anything before this. Yeah. You know? like, man, see, like putting a drum solo in the first song, like, you know, and like, <laughs> it's like one of those things where it's like a proper, you know, whenever you listen to John Bonham's live drum solos where they're like he starts playing with his hands, it's of that quality. <laughs> We're gonna go not not even left field, but it's like you know, fucking Twin Peaks series three kind of like very good. Like Jude, how in the name of fuck are you going to remember all those changes? Because this whole album needs to be heard live for the fact, but like I mean if you're going to be touring that, are you, it's going to be difficult, first of all, to leave out a few songs because I think it, as an album, it just... We're not leaving out anything. We're going perfect. to do the album in its entirety. Yes, that, that makes sense then because it'd be very difficult to pick out two songs even to leave out, not a mind, one. And actually, the order that they, they are on the <laughs> album, um, it actually flows quite nicely. Like, we mm. have tried it, you know, even rehearsing and, you know, we've done a lot of the songs live before we recorded them and stuff too. Yeah, um, I mean they I do so well. Like, that's not a denigration of the stuff from the previous albums because I think there's really good songs and all the stuff that you guys have brought out. But kind of feels like you know that eighties period of Pantera. You know, where it's like if you like Pantera, there's here here's the releases that have their signature sound. And by the way, they also had the stuff you know mm. before that. You know, you're the second person to mention that to me. Actually, the other one was. Uh, uh, Trevor McCormick. Uh, oh, shout out to thing. Trev. Cool. Yeah. Cranium titanium. Yeah. Brilliant guy. Cranium mm. titanium. Um, but he said the same thing. He was saying, like, are you doing a Pantera where you're just ditching your old your old stuff and just pretending, you know, you only started at Cowboys from Hell or what? <laughs> <laughs> and I sort of said to him, I sort of said the plan was just. Uh, there's a huge amount of your old sound in the new sound, you know? Yeah. Look, at, at its most fundamental fucking basis it is a thrash metal album you know that's my favorite music i love jazz i love blues i love flamenco i love latin music i love it all but like thrash metal is the the music that as gamma bomb would say i'm hit to, hit to the groove you know <laughs> so like yep. it's um, the spine of this album is trash be the best way i describe it jude yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the staccato riffing and all, it's all there and a lot of the speed and the razor <laughs> worship, you know. Mm. So uh, as soon as you hear the tupa, 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 you know, yeah. <laughs> just a thrash album. As I said, how are you going to remember playing this live? Like, it's just fucking hell. There's so many changes in each song. I well, mean, Richie, you're, you're a guitar player as well, aren't you? Bassist. You're a bassist? Yeah. Is that yeah, a man. bass you have back there, the flying V? <laughs> No, that's um, for my son. Oh, right, right, cool. Right, well, you know yourself then with playing, you get to a stage where you rehearse that it's actually harder to forget the next section than it is to remember it, you mm. know? 
Fair and enough. that's just what it is. It's just rehearsal, you know. But regards to playing live, I actually, you know, James Loveday from the Distortion Project. Yeah, big shout yeah. out to James. I made him a promise tonight that I'd do this. So I'm going to give you um, a Metal Cell exclusive here. <laughs> Ooh, we like those. Tomorrow, um, tomorrow at half 10 in the morning, the uh, tickets go on sale at wegottickets.com for August 21st. Um, it's the first Acid Age gig back. Um, oh. We'll be playing with two other awesome thrash bands, but I'm going to let you're going to have to check it out tomorrow at half 10 in the morning or any time after mm. to uh, find out who the other bands are. But we're actually going to do our official album launch in Voodoo in Belfast. Um, and we're going to do the full album in its entirety. Everyone that's going to go is going to get treated to an absolute barrage of the full album, a couple of other Acid Age songs, and then we're going to cover the entire Gamma Bomb back catalogue after. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, there's a temptation now, if ever I fucking needed yeah. it to get up to So Belfast. I promised I would do that for James. So tomorrow at half 10, that's going to be officially announced and you got it first. Cool. Um, the only thing is this is going to be left out in a week's yeah, time by the time it's out this is ancient <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate the gesture and thanks to yeah, yeah absolutely but I, I did promise Dude. James I would do that today <laughs> yeah top guy top guy so you haven't been down in Cork ever we've never been down to Cork oh no I've... what you were you were supposed to be down at that uh, Celtic Trash Festival that was it wasn't it um, there was something with Con Doyle that we were supposed to do yeah in, that's what it was yeah and do you know what? Uh, I think that might have had something. I'm not sure if it's the same thing you're talking about, but it was actually the pandemic put that off. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, um, I, yeah. I I was going to it. Uh, there was that Scottish band Ilfrin, is it? Ifrin. Yeah, Ifrin, that's it. Yeah. Crossfire yeah. might have been Ifrin and down as well. Yeah. And do you know what? We did the Belfast date. We wanted to do the Dublin and the Cork date, and then they all got cancelled. Mm. Um, but you know what? I would absolutely love to play Cork. I would play Cork tomorrow. Like uh, I've actually got a lot of family in Cork, so it would make a lot of sense. Richie Fest at some stage, man, aren't you? And I'll have to at this stage, party. Joe. The Metal yeah. Cell will have its own own day in the sun in Cork at some stage. Be some lineup. Excellent. <laughs> Only if you bring Gamma Bomb down, Joe. Yeah, we'd be, man. If dude, if you do it for some sort of charity thing, we'll be very happy to fucking. There you go, man. It started already. Jude, you're invited. Like we even got Simmons or whoever, we could run a bus and just fucking pick people. You know up what I would love to do, Joe? I would love to have like a an Irish thrash fest where it's like the most nauseating amount of thrash metal bands you could fit into one festival. You know where you're like, do you know what it's like, Joe? Like you actually can't fucking sit through a full band or a full festival of music like no one can do it I don't care who you are like no one could actually sit through 10 thrash metal bands one after another mm -hmm. after a while you start to go like a bit vertigo on it <laughs> but I would love to have a festival where it's just mental it's like you know Crossfire and Scimitar and Mortal Backlash and Gamma Bomb and Acid Age and fucking Psychosis you, know, you have to let them Psychosis get Saint Slaughter get Exaltic back together get Visceral Attack back together get Mass Extinction back together you know just all Irish thrash one full day where it's just nauseating amounts you know? I propose it be held in Sligo 
<laughs> so we you can do. all fucking go up to Sligo and have that <laughs> go on the lash in Sligo. Uh, yeah, fucking do it in Sligo. Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh man, it's like, I don't even know how long ago it is. It's like fucking about 14 years ago we played at Whiplash Festival in Sligo with like Headless Cross and a load of other bands. I remember the, the, like the dude who was the promoter sent me a message threatening saying he was going to kill me because apparently we were dickheads. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I remember James Sines putting news on in a gig in Dungannon years and years ago. Luke Graham actually arranged it. The fort? The fort yeah. in Dungannon? It was indeed. <clears throat> yeah, that's where I played my first ever gig within the fort. I can't remember what his name was. What was his name again? James. Yeah, he used to he used to run fucking a wee promotion agency, and they used to put on bands. But like, we played a couple of gigs in uh, Belfast, and they were like, "I'll oh, come to Dungannon," and we went to Dungannon. Lad, see me, if like, you were like, see if you were gigs. fucking Mid Ulster blood, you would have you would have known like playing in Dungannon was like fucking playing the whiskey in LA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like it, it was where bands <laughs> went to either a cut their teeth or b get finished and I was like no you can't make it Nungannon boys you can't make it anywhere <laughs> we played loads of places we played like down Patrick and played Balamoney like we used to play in Balamoney all the time because there was a thrash scene in Balamoney in like 2005 what's Balamoney called- like what, what, what is it a town like yeah that's a shithole <laughs> it's an but awful town, like, we, like being a, a whole bunch of boys from and Yuri and stuff and even later for like we used to bring Mass Extinction up like uh, from Dublin mm-hmm. like man that's the fucking beauty of the peace process and everything that happened was that like the generation before us in the 90s wouldn't have been able to go and play in Dungannon or yeah, Irish thrash bands you know from Dublin come up and play in Downpatrick or Balamoney yeah. especially like but like that's the great thing is now people are willing to fucking leave all that shit at the front door, you know. Oh yeah. Well, that that stuff's obviously it's a wee bit before my time, but not like so much that I don't have a clue about it. But what I will say is, I remember whenever I was sixteen, um, I was dating a girl from the opposite school, right? And I remember people telling me that it was like a fucking big deal, like it was in some way. Oh, this just wouldn't have happened ten years ago, you know. <laughs> And I remember thinking, like, this is ridiculous, you know. We're just yeah. going to the cinema, you know? <laughs> innocent. You know? Yeah, thank God that all that, oh, that shit is behind. There was actually no hint of it when I went up there, um, Jude, for Elder Druid's launch um, in January. No Elder hint at Druid all. Too, I bet you that was some gig. Amazing, yeah. And as I said, we were getting in various taxis and. There wasn't a problem with our accents or nothing. There was we didn't come across anything, but yeah, um, yeah. that's what fantastic. You wanted. you wanted to have an inclusive thing, and like I'm sure, like fucking Richie, you would agree with me. Like this is that there's fucking there's a lot of towns out there that you just don't get bands coming to that you used to. Like you know, correct, like, spot on. Fifteen years ago, you would have bands like Destruction and Sepultura playing in Derry and in Cork, mm. you know, or playing in Galway and stuff. And like weirdly now, it's like. Bands will do Belfast and Dublin. Occasionally they'll do like Limerick these days, but like that whole network died. You know, when I talked to H from Acid Rain about it when he was on here and said that when they played, did an Irish tour, there was like six gigs. It was like whenever you saw those old Thin Lizzy posters, they'd be playing in Dun- uh, like Drogheda or Dundalk. Yeah. Or 
And all Same with Rory Gallagher and Mama's Boys. If you look at their actual Irish tours, it was like, okay, yeah, so we're doing point. Limavady, yeah, we're doing Armagh, we're doing Draperstown, we're doing Cookstown, we're doing Coal Island, we're doing Dublin, Cork, Limerick, you know. It just yeah. went on. And I would love to see that. A lot of those gigs were in community halls. They weren't... Yeah, well, they, they actually used to have show band halls in yeah. Ireland, didn't they? Like, yes. uh, that, that was a big thing. Um, like hall acoustic buildings built with the the let's deliberately have show bands in here playing top 40 you know mm. so it's a different world we're in now it is yeah and I mean when you see that I thought Belfast is brilliant because most bars in Belfast we went to there was live music on yeah. there you know there was a guy with acoustic guitar there could have been two lads on guitars but it was fucking great man it added yeah. to the whole vibe of the city this as well man that see the whole time as starting off with a bar, as a band like like Metal can be extremely elitist, like you know, and like oh, see punks, like punks just welcome you with open arms, like, and I'm sure you, you guys, same as us, like all those early punk gigs where you cut your teeth and like got actual fans, people who liked the band because they were fast or whatever. You There's know. like a rule, um, in punk, like in sort of more north, don't want to say it, but sort of more northern Irish thrash. There's a rule that. At least one of your band members has played in the danger fields. <laughs> so, so like the the whole punk thing, cutting your teeth. Like I totally get it, and it was the same thing with us. Like, is the danger was, fields a punk venue? Is it or what? What's no, danger the danger fields? fields was a punk band. Um, All right, okay. They, they were actually class. I loved them. Like their music was great. They had a drummer that used to sing. They're back and, together. Uh, I went to go and see them just before lockdown happened at this wee venue in Belfast, and they were. They're awesome, like you know. Yeah, they're always off and on, like. But you had a few members, like I think Luke and maybe um, Luke and Cavy both. Cavy, Cavy, yeah. and like they were the the Dangerfields were the first band to take us, you know, on tour. Ireland. We went and did like five or six gigs in Scotland with them and stuff, and yeah, they were the proper road dogs, like you know, going to one hundred and fifty gigs a year, just the all DIY. Yeah. And the, and the other thing about them was they used to just go and do these extremely long tours of Europe where they would just hit like every toilet venue within a million miles. So like they would probably do 75 dates in like a month. You know? It was ridiculous. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. But yeah, no, like, and I tell you what, man, that would be, I would love to fucking, they're like, I'm in contact with Andy all the time, but I'd love to try and get, you know, like, like someone like you guys and them and us, because then you're getting like different sort of style. Like it's all fast music, right? But like you get yeah. like you can draw on people who like death metal or progressive music or punks mm. or you know, people who like eighties music. I don't know if you'll want to talk about this, Joe. So feel free to edit this out if this doesn't suit. But like, didn't used to do a, a cover of Maniac. I really liked that. Yeah, we did. And like the idea originally was that we we're going to do an EP where. Dangerfields did like one of our tunes and we did one of their tunes and it was like, like a split. it was like 2005 or something like that and yeah. uh, there was there was some like some reason basically they didn't they, they didn't do it and uh, we ended up using it as a B-side for like a demo that we brought out as a single you know yeah yeah um, but like no like obviously no <laughs> bad blood like you know Andy's a lovely dude and as I said would love to you know do some gigs with him I'm actually doing some guitar solos on their new album. They've got a, a new thing in the pipeline. Well, I've been like 1955. Like, you know, they're really brilliant. Yeah, yeah they're kind of like out. Zeke. If you ever liked Zeke, 
you know, they're like that kind of thing, you know, like Zeke or Andy scene. Mm-hmm. Know that very sort of late 80s, early 90s, very American punk where it's sort of like the Ramones meets fucking Motorhead or something, you know. Are they a bit like the Transplants? Remember them, no? Yeah, they're a bit like the Transplants. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Or if you like the Casualties or something, you know, okay. but the drummer okay. Andy, Andy would sing and drum and like he has no toms, so there's no drum rolls. It's just like snare rolls and then just fucking head over to the mic and he's like singing like this, you know. Yeah. Class, really good show. Really, really good. Wasn't there a band, a trash band called That War that had a, a drummer singer as well? Well, Exciter was the big one that had a drummer singer, I think. Mm. Um, Exciter and, yeah, there was like, you know, there's a few, uh, Zoetrope and a few other bands. Like, I guess it's one of those things that like no one has ever really, you know, like we played with Exciter and stuff uh, whenever we played in Japan there last year, the year before. And like I was a dream come true because we were big fans and growing up. But yeah. it it is it's visually weird, you know, yeah. seeing the drummer unless it's like a fucking Bill Collins type things and the drums are at the front of the stage. Yeah, and yeah. Like it's weird. Like you're sort of sitting being all like, who should I be looking at here? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. About a couple of months ago when we were doing the forums with Richie and like we brought up it was the whole discussion was about replacement singers and stuff and whenever me and Richie were talking about like, you know, Dio's era of Sabbath, like Evan and Danielle were just like, what, like who wants to hear non Aussie Sabbath? And you're like, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's the thing. And the beauty with that is people are making it like you have to choose a side. No, that band's finished now. So it's a case of just enjoy it all. You've got loads of eras, loads of albums, you know. Yes. You can put on Tony Martin, Glenn Hughes. What's wrong with liking it all, you know? Yeah, oh, even Ian Sabbath, Gillen. I was listening to the Ian Gillen album yeah, as well. Like. Born Again. Yeah, fucking class. And actually, there's another Irish relation because he had Bernie Tormey play guitar in his band. That's right, yeah. Bernie Tormey, who passed away there last mm. year. Yeah. A fucking brilliant player too, Yeah. You know? That was a great lineup, actually. They had Gillen. Sorry, Richie, go on ahead. I just saw about Gillen there, um, that album Future Shock. He'd um, McCoy on bass, he'd Bernie Torm on guitar. Uh, can't, I'm missing one other member. I think that was the album, actually, Future Shock, where uh, did Bernie Torm not leave and then uh, Janet Gears come in? Yeah. No, Bernie was definitely on that album. Was he? Yeah, I have it. I have it at hand, literally. That's the one where he does a, a, what's the Stevie Wonder cover, Living for the City or something, isn't it? I have that yeah. on single on 45 it, as well, Joe. It was apeshit on the fucking Whammy Bar. And it's not even a Floyd Rose, it's just like a standard Strat right. Whammy Bar. And he's given a grief boy. I don't know it's how he kept yeah, the bastard. Yeah. Dude, like, how do you feel about that? Like, as in fucking the, the, the you know, being in the, in the annals of Irish league guitar players? Like, because the country has come out with some insane players like you know like and like loads and loads of different styles and you can certainly hear like you know some of the kind of like Gary Moore or I would even say sort of a bit of Eric Bell in your sort of sound but like are you are you a Gallagher fan or what do you listen to look? yeah you know who I love Pat McManus oh, um, unbelievable and not just his mama's boys I love his solo stuff and I love the Celtic stuff as well um there was a lot of guitar players that have kind of slipped under the radar that were great in Ireland too. So one of them that was fantastic was a guy called Willie Byrne. I don't know if you remember him. No, who was he in or what was his? Willie Byrne was in the Willie Byrne band, but his thing was, they were like Van Halen, 
but um, he would just jump out like he, he would wear you know the fucking scarf fucking thing the 80s fucking bandana around the neck and he would jump out with the super strat and he'd start doing all the whammy bar antics and all you know he was like a full on shred guitar player with the tapping and all the techniques Jesus but um, brilliant player and then sort of towards later on in his career he ended up being um, uh, playing more like Mediterranean sun dance maybe acoustic Eraldi Miola stuff and he was fantastic at that like the Latin acoustic stuff it was terrifying to see Fuck. Um, and then there was also big one was Jim Armstrong most people remember Jim Armstrong the blues man right uh, Jim Armstrong uh, had a band called Light L-I-G-H-T and uh, they were they had a f- one big hit called Harlan the Wolf and it was uh, he, he was doing all these effects making the sounds of the seagulls on the guitar and all and it's a lovely song if you're into like blues see even like modern blues if you like bands like what Bill Steer did with Firebird and stuff it's really good for that um, but Jim Armstrong used to be in a band with Van Morrison and then Van Morrison ended up getting basically picked by an NR agent to here you can do the career and we're going to record an album with you but you're going to have to use our band sort of so thing was he originally in the Belfast uh, lineup with them was he then or yeah yeah right and uh, then there was also um Another big one that I think people should go and check out is Henry McCullough. But he'd be sort of most famous for his work with Paul McCartney and Wings, and he played with Joe Cocker at Woodstock. Oh, but okay. it's his solo stuff that you wanna you wanna check out. Like, see, as a as an island, <laughs> Ireland has the guitar caliber is every bit as good, considering it's a smaller island less people in it it's mm. every bit as good as the quality that was coming out of England or America at the time you know so yeah. to answer your question Joe yeah it's a fucking absolutely awesome pressure to have <laughs> yeah. so, like the One Point Blues Festival is like a mile across the water over there and like uh, Rab McCullough and uh, like Pat McManus and etc have played it many many times so it's, it is class that there's that sort of lineage, but it's a funny thing that, like, see, like, Richie, you might know this, like, see, being an older fella, if you have spent time in England and stuff like that, you'll get a lot of people who think that Tim Lizzie are from America or something like that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think of Irish guitar, I think of, like, U2 or, you know. Or horse lips. <laughs> you know, fucking top priority by Roy Gallagher or We Want Mirrors, yeah. we can get, like, you know. Mm. Do you know, Joe, one of my favorite fucking guitar players of all time is Alex Skolnick. Like, I love the guy. Everything he does, you know. And I even, there's like this movement of guys that you've probably seen on the internet with Thrash that you're only allowed to like old Exodus albums and old Testament albums. I love all the stuff they're putting out now too. Um, But I will say this, like, there was one night um, Alex Skolnick was doing a live Instagram feed and I always watch it. He does it every Friday night. Um, and I was watching it this one night and someone said to him, what do you think of Rory Gallagher? And he says, oh, I've heard of him, but I've never checked him out. And then as soon as he said that, I was a bit like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> like there was just just that we yeah. added to one of my biggest heroes. You know? mm. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But again, someone said Gary Moore, of course, he'd know him then. 
It's funny though because I can even remember um, Kirk Hammett saying years ago whenever I was like fucking first learning to play metal and stuff and I was buying all the guitar magazines and trying to learn everything. Um, I can remember reading an interview with Kirk Hammett where he said he thought it was kind of gross that Gary Murr never broke America. Like he, in Ireland, he was at a time nearly a household name. Even in England, he was a big Mm -hmm. name in rock. Like fucking Ozzy got him whenever Randy Rhodes just died and it was like, can you fill in for a few gigs kind of thing? Um, everyone knew Gary Moore, but he never broke America, so he never became the kind of household name that you know Richie Blackmore, or Jimmy Page, or Eddie Van Halen say Gallagher. became. You know, and Rory Gallagher is really popular in Europe and in blue circles in America. Absolutely, people who have heard of Leslie uh, fucking West and stuff would have heard of Rory Gallagher or ZZ Top kind of being, but because Moore is a wee bit more removed and his music's a bit more eighties, you know. Like he did tour out there with like um, Def Leppard and Rush and stuff like that, but um, I don't know. Yeah, I think he's kind of moved with the time, though. Like what you're saying, what you're saying about uh, Gary Moore's music being a bit more eighties. I think Gary Moore always moved with the times. So like he was in Skid Row, which was kind of like a cream type thing to begin yeah. with, yeah, like a trio. Um, and then he was, you know trying out some stuff with Thin Lizzy whenever rock was kind of getting a bit harder edge and you started getting more, you know, harder edge Scorpions and Van Halen kind of hard rock bands uh, in the early eras, I suppose. And then I think Gary Murr, he tried a bit of the jazz fusion thing around the time that, like, we were talking about Mahavishnu Orchestra and Return to Forever, mm-hmm. right? Around the time, late 70s, that those were getting big. You know, he'd done the Coliseum 2 stuff. But then he kind of goes through this really interesting period in his discography where sort of around the um, Corridors of Power and Victims of the Future era that I really, really like, and especially the Victims album. And I'm sure you two boys are fucking sick of hearing about this album, so please, I'm sorry. But uh, that album in particular is every bit as heavy to my ears, sonically, in terms of guitar tone and riff craft, as say, Kill Em All. Wow. And I don't say that lightly, you know. It, like, There's a song, Murder in the Skies, on Victims of the Future, and I think it was maybe the first time uh, an Irish guitar player, quote-unquote, did a thrash riff, you know, on record, to my <laughs> ears. Um, I know I'm nerding out a wee bit here, but we're talking about Gary Moore, so you're going to have to humour me, but... <laughs> Uh, like even Sodom covered Murder in the Skies do you know it's that much of a thrash song I, that's it's what I was brilliant. trying to think I was there going what fucking band covered that Sodom Sodom did it but it's one of my favourite Guy Moore tunes and like the guitar tone on um, Victims of the Future in particular was like we were always like such huge fans of strats and metal you know <laughs> and like yeah. one of my favourite guitar players ever is Dave Murray right yeah, but like for his lead playing, and like I think that if Iron Maiden had one guitar player, maybe the guitar sound would have been better. But like that, like sort of up the par slave sounded so muddy. Whereas like the first time you hear uh, Victims of the Future and hear that kind of single coil heavy metal sound, it's the same as Raven all for one. You know, there's mm-hmm. like an ultimate amount of clarity in it. Mm-hmm. But it sounds yeah. great, like, and that's why we use the. The single uh, single coils on the Bejeurs, he says, for the rhythm. Live Do you use single coils live? 
Yeah, we used are, the they, are they coil. not? Are they not super strats with humbuckers? The veggiers. No, the single single coil, uh, single coil strats on the what do you call Seriously? it? John's one is a, a humbucker, and it, the yeah, yeah. action is a single coil. And Damo's ones are just like like a Jimi Hendrix style. Single coils and Damo's. Yeah, that's fucking awesome, man. And uh, the last couple of years, I've been really enjoying P90s. P90s yes. are just like hot as fuck. Ray Cooter used them in the bridge of his guitar. He would put a P90 in there and then have yeah. the two other single coils in the strap, like, you know, but like totally, totally unique sound looking. Yeah, that's wicked because, well, it does work good in the, the because it's like a lower output, it does work good in the neck position just for that like warm, creamy Dave Murray esque fucking solo sound. But um, I've been really enjoying just a bridge P90, like a Les Paul Jr. type thing, like uh, Leslie West, who just died there. Yeah. Uh, there's a young blues guy I really like called Jared James Nichols, and he's yeah. big into the, the bridge, just solo P90, just hot as fuck overwind. I actually got made, uh, one made by a guy, Diachi Peco. Um Funny enough, Kevy Canavan actually has yeah. uh, got some pickups done there. Down here. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know me, he's a Nuri lad. Um, but he actually uh, custom made me one. It's beautiful. Um, I have to give him a shout out. Like it was absolutely unbelievable. He, I went to him and was like, <laughs> I want a P90 that has the tone and touch of the best blues sound, but I want it hot as fuck so it can cope with thrash metal. I was going to say to you though, man, so like, I think the last time I saw you, you were playing uh, some Les Paul type guitar, but you also had your Gary Holt type red stickery super strap. And you, like, what do you use now for like, is, is the whole album playable on one guitar or do you like different tunings, different guitars or what's, what's the crack of it? Um, so I recorded everything um, with a P90 Les Paul Jr., Right. On the rhythms, on the rhythms, I did at least one rhythm track, but I did record with some other humbucker guitars on certain parts. So, like maybe the odd guitar solo or the like a second rhythm track, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's but, the What's the main guitar? What's the Les Paul type? Or what are you What are you playing then? Then, at the minute, I've actually I've got a new guitar that I'm really enjoying that I'm that I haven't used anywhere yet. Um, just in the house. And it's a Les Paul Classic. It's a 2021. But the reason I love it, it just looks like a black Les Paul, glossy motherfucker, right? But the thing I love about it is see the tonal palette in here. It's really interesting because it basically works in such a way that I can set the neck pickup. I can split the coil so it sounds like a single coil. Like Joe's talking about that warm, creamy single coil sound that Domo's now using, right? And then instead of having to switch the thing and then go back and hit this and turn that, I can just pull this wee switch here, the bottom tone knob, and it's set as like a bypass. So that just flicks everything and goes straight back to full shred humbucker back for your riff, you know? And it's 498 and 500 in it, man? Or what, what's the pickups in it? The pickups in it are Gibson Burstbuckers, just the, the standards, oh, right? They're just completely stock. When I got it, I was like, uh, I'll see what they're like. And I love how it plays, but if I don't like them, I'll change them. But I ended up loving them. Domo, the piece of advice Domo gave me recently was uh, on your Gibson, lower the pickup action. Because he was saying that he finds that 
you end up getting a muffled or distorted sound the higher up they are and you get a you get a cleaner sound the lower they are. I've hired the action on my Les Paul Juniors and increased the gauge of strings. So I'm using 11s that are drop tuned to D standard. Yeah. Um, and what I've found with that is just see with the higher action, you get more sustain because there's a bit more push to the fret and there's big, lovely jumbo frets in that bastard. Wow. So I go back and hit it and see the ring. It's like pure Nigel Tufnell, just fucking just hit it. <laughs> so, man, you can't. Um, I, like, I used to love playing 11s all the time whenever I used to play guitar, like before I was playing bass and stuff. and you do get a, a super crunchy tone. It's one of those things that, if you like, doesn't uh, Eric Clapton use size eights or something insane? We were just like so many awesome players, man. Fucking tone gods like Tony Iommi uses fucking sevens. Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top uses sevens. You know, and Tony yeah. Iommi's drop tuning too. It's like what the fuck? <laughs> rubber bands. <laughs> the strings would be literally. It'd be worse than rubber bands. It'd be like. Loose shoe <laughs> what do you use then, Jude, with Putrefy? With Putrefy, I would actually use this guitar. Oh, okay. Um, and it's just like, it's the same tuning as Acid Age. So I do everything in D standard. So it just, it's basically the same setup. Okay. And then, and that guitar is bought new, yeah? Yeah. I've actually only had it maybe about two months. So. But it's going to be my main live guitar because on the album, on Semper Pessimus, I used all Les Paul Juniors. Okay. And what array of pedals did you use? Oh, I used Boss. Uh, I used a Boss SD1 just to push the lead sound a bit. Okay. Um, and I used my Dunlop EVH Wah, which I used in everything. But Jake, funny enough, Jake used uh, a mad rake of fucking bass player. You're a bass player, right? Yeah. Okay. Jake's fucking paddleboard is getting so big now right <laughs> that I actually have about a third of a stage like to, to really manipulate my feet around you know it's absolutely oh, ridiculous sick. yeah and have you heard um, of moose pedals moose pedals yeah yeah I've yeah. heard of moose the bat, is it Batlax is it or I don't know yeah Andy from Molar Bear now would be a great fan of theirs of his pedals and um who are the other? Oh, Slomatics would use their his stuff as well. We rehearse in the same room as Slomatics. There you go, man. Fucking sure. call in and have a look. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm getting keen on um, the show at some stage in the next few weeks. Anyway, just to talk about Moose yeah. and uh, what he's up to. Brilliant. But, um, but yeah, Jake and his fucking pedal board. Sure, Jack is the same down in Cork here and Crows as well. Fuck's sake, it's starting to look like a coffin that he's carrying around, man. There's, a, <laughs> there's actually parts on the, on Samper Pessimus that you would think are a keyboard, but they're actually not a keyboard. It's Jake doing it with his feet. You know, like s some of the outros in some songs where it's like, even the very last track, the reprise, that big... Oh, yeah. And the stoppiness and all. He actually done that with pedals. I haven't a clue what he's at, so I can't tell you. But like you would think it was a synth or something. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah, because you'd kind of look and see what instruments you were using on it. And uh... well, we did play some other stuff on it too. Like um, both me and Jake actually played the lyre on it. Um, ah, you know okay. the Roman instrument that Nero. Yes. Played? We both had a go at that, and that was cool. How did you get get your hands on one of those? 
Jake actually bought it for his girlfriend at a convenient time where we needed one and she needed a birthday present. So <laughs> I think he uh, he bought it and then asked could we borrow it. But she loved it like to boot. See, to be fair, it's a class present. You know, it's a lovely piece of equipment. Class, man. So look, I'm going to leave you Absolutely go, man. Absolutely blown away by your album, Sipper. Thank you Pesimus. so much. And it's Jude from Acid Age. Check out all your stuff. You're very good on social media. I like the way you're starting to do the playthroughs as well. People still watch these. Jake just done one tonight. Like by the time this is out, it'll be a week's news or whatever. But um, Jake's just done one on how to play 16th notes with one finger <laughs> at high speed. So <laughs> check out that. Man, I need to watch that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, to boy, is there any physical releases of the album or what's that? Is it- there is. You can go over to Bandcamp and get everything. Look, there's no, um, there's discussions about vinyl at the minute, but, but we're very much still doing this ourselves. And there has to be a bit more demand there before we can really go ahead with it. But we absolutely do want to do it, but it's getting there. Okay. So if you want the vinyl, it would really help if someone lets us know on our, our socials, you know? Yeah, and as you... S- the more complaints, basically, we get, the more convinced we get to do it. Yeah, cool. <laughs> and as you said, uh, August the 21st, Acid Age, Belfast. Is it Voodoo or where is it? The official, it's in Voodoo. Nice. It's the official Semper Pessimist album launch. We're going to play it in its entirety. It's a very, very limited capacity event just because of the rules with COVID mm-hmm. now. Um, we have to make sure everyone's safe and in good hands and, you know, and... I think Voodoo is a really good venue for it. So um, it's August the 21st and you can get tickets that we got tickets and it's from the Distortion Project. Brilliant. Shout out to James as well. Again, Absolutely. thanks a million, Jude. Joe, as always, thanks Thank for, very much, Richie. for joining me on the show, man. I appreciate it. Uh, hit that subscribe button if you like the Metal Cell and as I said, check out Acid Age. They're fucking brilliant. So big shout out to Jake, Jude and Aaron. Support your local metal scene. Thank you very much, boss. Take care. Sculpted from incest, a falsehood of life, a scorned Nero Claudius shall rise by the knife. Seeming with resentment, his joy began to wane as his wretched mother's strategy rendered him insane. And so it shall pass through murderous euphoria. No land shall be left unmarred by flame.